Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shin. The Connecticut State Department of Education recently approved a new set of standards around teaching social studies. Coming up, we'll get a sneak preview and hear how these standards are linked to several new changes to social studies education in Connecticut. That includes a new Black and Latino studies elective and curriculum covering local indigenous history. But first, there's another social studies elective in the works, AP, or Advanced Placement, African-American Studies. A committee of African-American Studies scholars and AP teachers are developing the course, including two Connecticut educators, who we'll hear from this hour. The course is in its second pilot year in hundreds of schools, but the rollout has been rocky. Florida's Department of Education very publicly rejected the pilot in January, and about three months later, the College Board, which oversees AP curricula, announced changes would be made. The New York Times reported that course material had been whittled down over months of discussion with Florida's Board of Education. Topics like slavery reparations, queer life, and Black Lives Matter were all under review or missing, according to the Times' analysis. But the College Board has maintained that the updates were not prompted or influenced by politics. Instead, the College Board said they were inspired by scholars in the field to focus more on foundational history over contemporary theory. Since then, the Arkansas Department of Education has also rejected the course. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders echoed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, claiming the course taught to a political agenda. Last week, the College Board's Executive Director of Communications, Holly Stepp, joined us to address the political backdrop. She told us they've had very little communication with Florida's Department of Education. To be clear, we're not changing this course for Florida, for Arkansas, for any state. It will be one course. We'll submit it to all 50 states and it'll be up to them to decide. The changes that are being made are the ones that the scholars in the field, AP teachers and our experts within College Board feel are necessary to make this a comprehensive and holistic course. Our commitment is that for every student who takes this course, they're going to have a really strong, comprehensive, holistic experience with African-American studies from geography to literature to history to music and the arts. It's going to be a really rigorous course that's going to challenge them, expand their minds, help them think about their worlds differently that are going to challenge them. And that's what we expect in every AP course. Like I said, for the states, they will, we will share our framework with them and then states will make that decision. Holly described the College Board's two primary goals, guiding the course's review and rollout. One is that we're going to expose high school students to rigorous, challenging college level introductory work and that it is going to be representative of the scholarship in the field. 
and that it's comparable to what they'll see in college. Um, and the other part of that is our goal for access. We want to be able to teach this course in as many places to as many students as possible. So those are equal goals, but what we've realized is in this course and in this environment, the scholarship matters more. And so what's really driving our changes right now are very much about what we are hearing from higher education professionals who work in African-American studies, what we're hearing from teachers about what we've learned in our first pilot year, what students respond to, and that's really going to drive the changes that you'll see later this year. Again, Holly Stepp is the Executive Director of Communications for the College Board. She said that those two goals did come into conflict when Florida's Department of Education rejected the AP African American Studies course in January, but there was one solution. The promise of AP is that students will encounter college-level work, and if they perform well, universities and colleges will offer them credit for it. That is the bedrock of our advanced placement program. But, so, but access is absolutely one of those things that we think about constantly. We want as many students as possible to be exposed to our work. Um, and But if we have to choose, we're going to choose that fundamental promise of advanced placement, that this is college-level work at the high school that students can earn credit for. And so we really do have to respect what colleges and universities expect that they're going to be willing to give credit for. We confirmed again that there would only be one course offered nationally, not different versions for states that reject it. There is one standard for AP. We don't modify our courses for individual states. Um, We never have. We haven't done it with any of our courses, and we won't do it with this one. There will be one AP African-American Studies course, Mm -hmm. and we hope it will be able to be taught as in many states as possible. Mm -hmm. It's a great course. We really want students to be able to experience it. This spring, students will take the first ever AP exam for this course. It will be offered nationally next fall. Holly said the College Board received tremendous feedback from teachers and students in pilot classes. It expanded from 60 to 700 schools during the second pilot year. It'll be up to every state to decide whether they want to make this course available to their students. We certainly hope they will read the framework when it's released later this year, um, take some time digesting it, Mm -hmm. and see that this is a rich, comprehensive course that offers students a lot of perspectives on the African-American experiences here in the United States. But ultimately, it's a state decision about whether they choose to offer this course or not. That was Holly Stepp, Executive Director of Communications for the College Board. Coming up next, we hear from two Connecticut educators who helped co-author this course. And later in the hour, We'll hear from the Connecticut State Department of Education to preview a new set of standards for teaching social studies. You can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. 
So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we're discussing a new advanced placement course that's set to roll out next fall, despite waves of political pressure and publicity. How has the political backdrop impacted the course's authors? Here to discuss are two Connecticut educators currently working on this course, Dr. David Embrick, who holds a joint position at the University of Connecticut as associate professor in the sociology department and Africana Studies Institute. Welcome to the program. Thank you for for asking me to join you. And for our listeners, you can also join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So I want to start this conversation just by asking both of you about your roles on the development committee. Um, Lisa, can you tell us what your role is, what does that mean, and where does that stand now? Okay, thank you. Um, So I am the co-chair of the development committee along with Dr. Robert Patterson of Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and that means uh, that we coordinate the rest of the development committee members. Um, All of us work to give our input, and when we talk about all of those iterations, they are independent of anything that's external. So, you know, just as Holly was saying, whether Florida says something or Arkansas, that is not we're not in the political piece of this at all. It is about delivering a course that is um, a legitimate and carefully constructed course that will allow students to have the experience of a, of a college course and potentially get the college credit for it. And that means many, many meetings. It means going over piles of papers. It means wordsmithing every essential question, every learning objective, um, and every question that will potentially be on the exam. So it is not something that is done in haste. It is not something that is done without careful regard. And it is, as I said, a collaborative effort so that you get the um, ideas of all of the, you know, the people who are going to work to make this the course that it is. So I've also been on several, well, in many parts of it, just, I've been a pilot teacher for the last two years, so in addition to helping develop it, I get to teach it, and um, I have also been a part of the AP Advocates, so that I am also, you know, advocating for access. And David, what about you? Is your position any different or similar? And also would love to ask, too, you know, anything that jumped out from our conversation with Holly uh, Stepp earlier, who's the Executive Director of Communications for the College Board? Yeah, hi. Um, thank you for that uh, question. Um, yeah, my my role is is different in that I don't uh, I don't have uh, as many parts as Lisa has, uh, who is co chairing uh, the committee. Um, 
I'm a member of the um, development committee and um, part of my role, uh, I work with a larger uh, group of folks and we work um, collectively and collaboratively um, in, you know, uh, in the development of the course itself and just making sure that we have, uh, you know, uh, are as accurate as possible in terms of um, the content of the course. Um, at the individual level, which which is very minimal here, um, you know, I was brought on. I'm a racism scholar by trade, a sociologist, uh, even though I'm a joint position in Africana studies and sociology. And so part of my role, um, I feel, is to, um, you know, take a close look at uh, making sure that when we talk about um, some of the topics uh, that run through this course, that we have a firm understanding of um, how racism has sort of shaped um you know, uh, uh, the African-American experiences, especially in the United States. And so with, or I want to talk about the process a little bit, you know, going, going back to Lisa, what were some of the priorities you had when you began collaborating on this course? Well, to make sure that we were um, comprehensive, as comprehensive as possible, because, uh, you know, when you're teaching four to 600 years of history, and not just making it history, but because it studies, we are also incorporating um, art and music and, you know, um, linguistics and all kinds of things that make it um, a much more robust course than strictly history. It meant that you had to make sure that you had the right people. So the scholars who are experts in their respective fields were consulted, uh, you know, all the time, really, and uh, literally whittling down what could have been, you know, a five-year course into, you know, one year. Uh, it was uh, it, it was also a, a labor of love because, as David will tell you, you know, whenever we are asked to review, we are not only reviewing, but we're also doing it with another eye or, or another ear, you know, something that wants, wants us to make sure that when this rolls out as a... Um, as, as a complete course, that it really is complete and that it does hit all of the marks that the experts, um, you know, my colleagues would say, yes, this is not just something that can go for college credit, but you are giving your students a very good overview of what the African diaspora really has to offer the world. And David, I want to ask the same question to you, too. You know, what are your primary goals when you're thinking about or planning on crafting this course? There, there's 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 uh there's there's quite a few um but i think the most important is to, is to make sure that we develop the best course possible uh in terms of its accuracy its historical accuracy uh, um and um you know uh and and get out the the the, the experiences the african american experiences um i i do want to reiterate some of the things that that lisa said that i also think is really important for me to get out so that people sort of really understand it. These are things that I learned of being on this committee. It, it is, it is very much a collaborative effort and it's, it, but it's not just a collaborative ef uh, effort. Uh, um, it, it is one in which, you know, I'm, I'm working with colleagues uh, in higher education, but I'm also working with uh, high school teachers who are the ones that are actually teaching uh, this course. And so I've learned a lot and I think those lessons that I've learned are one that uh, that that are they typically are internal that 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 
folks from the outside don't know. So a lot of what we're seeing uh, uh, out there in terms of the criticisms um, or the comments to this course are from people that don't actually know what we are doing or what we have been doing, right? So as Lisa said, this is a, this is a long process that's been, you know, three years in the making. Um, but it's one in which, you know, we've got a bunch of uh, college professors um, who have unique takes or different takes on uh, how they teach these courses at the university level, um, you know, and this is just within our group, right? But then we also have the real fundamental fact that we have high school teachers um, who are who are expected to 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 to, to teach this uh, teach this course to uh, you know um, uh, young folks, right? Um, and 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 oftentimes the battle that we sort of have internally is you know from the professor's point of view is is we're trying to put in as much as possible and sometimes too much. Sometimes you know we've been challenge that you know what we're trying to do here is we're trying to put in the equivalent of two or three courses into fundamentally what is only one course um and so for me to learn that from these high school teachers who are basically saying like i only have a limited amount of time um to do what you're asking me to do and and some of these things you're asking me to do you don't even do on your end right because you you're able to teach us two or three courses um, has really um, had an effect on sort of how I kind of uh, see the importance of this, um, not just in terms of, of the importance of this course in creating kind of a bridge um, from high school into into higher education, um, but from kind of the realities, right? Like sitting in their shoes, like I didn't really know, um, you know, I didn't have those kind of experiences. Um, and I think we were, so, so, you know, I only bring this up because I think those are the kind of conversations we have all the time. Like it is conversation that sort of says, you know, yes, we want to get this accurate. Yes, we want to talk about this. Yes, we want to do this. But let's see the realities of can we actually do this within this, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, set amount of time or within within this kind of like semester. Right. And um, and those are the things I wish, uh, you know, or at least I want folks to sort of understand. That's the conversations that we're having. So we're having a, a larger conversation about accuracy, about history, about all these other things. But we're also having a conversation about the real logistics of, of making this work, which is a challenge in and of itself. Right. And and I uh, want to ask Lisa here, especially with what David just mentioned now that, you know, there's so much to go through, so much to sort of uh, break down in terms of having to create one course with the accuracy, with the realities. So, uh, Lisa, are there any misconceptions about this course that you like to address? Uh, well, one is it's not so much about the content of the course, but sort of the narrative that has been floated up and seems to be difficult to squelch. Um, everything we've done has not been in reaction to, okay? <laughs> everything we've done has been a part of, as David was saying, a collaborative and collective effort to make sure that we tweak the course so that it is um, as accurate as possible, but also, you know, will yield a very diverse and comprehensive learning experience. And um, I still am reading and seeing that, it, we changed this because Florida, no, it was already in the works. And so timing is everything. Right. And that's part of what I really want to get out here is that the things that the committee has been working on, was, it was absolutely divorced from, as I said, anything that was external. So we made the decisions to do things within our own group, not because 
there was some backlash or, you know, some type of um, of talk about how it's not scholarly or you need to change this in order to meet our standards. We're not trying to make it so that um, we meet everybody's standards. And as Holly said, you accept the course or you don't. Right. And, and David, I want to pose the same question to you as well. You know, what are some of the misconceptions that you would like to address? I think I think that was the I think that was the most challenging uh, thing from where I sat. I agree with Lisa. I you know um, uh, this idea uh, that kept popping up that um, we were sort of being reactionary uh, to sort of external forces um, completely rendered invisible all the different conversations that we had been having um, on this committee uh, for quite a while, right? Um, and the cha- the challenges were internal to to those of us who wanted to include things or didn't want to include things and 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 sort of and and it really was about how do we sort of be as accurate as possible um you know in terms of delivering the 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 width and breadth of, of the course uh, what could we include and what could we not given the the constraints um of 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 uh you know of an AP course right and again I, like I said those were kind of really big lessons that I sort of took um you know um immediately um cuz I came in there like uh, I think some of my other colleagues thinking like, oh, you know, uh, yeah, let me, you know, I got this grand idea of like, you know, uh, three or four of these core. Let's just tackle them all in there. And 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 that's just not um, that's just that's not that's not real. Right. Um, right. Um, yeah. Well, and and to really follow up on what both you and Lisa have just mentioned, I think that clarification is really important and really part of the reason for this conversation. Um, I still want to ask both of you the same question that we had asked Holly earlier, which you both did touch on a little bit already, but you know, we're talking about also um, considering realities as you're building this course. You know, have public or uh, political discourse affected um, you know, the process of developing these courses, you know, what are your, what, what has that been like for you? Well, we'll start with David. I don't think it has, uh, it hasn't affected uh, me or my colleagues insofar as the work is concerned. Um, it's, it certainly has affected me on, uh, on a, on a, on a sort of um, emotional level, right? Um, because, uh, you know, I, I stand as a, as, as a, as a committee member that have to sort of tackle these, uh, these, these, uh, uh, you know, that, that basically are questioning, uh, partly the things that me and my colleagues are trying to do without fully understanding what it is that we actually do. Right. And it's not just coming from, you know, uh, you know, folks from the right. It's also coming from folks on the left, from folks from the middle, who are basically, you know, have taken kind of things that have come up in media. And, and have basically ran with it without actually thinking through and saying, you know, is is there some validity or accuracy uh, in what's being reported, right? Mm. Uh, so I've also, you know, you know, we we we've been talking about Florida, 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 but I've got colleagues that have basically also have said, you know, well, I heard you 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 dropped this person, I heard you do this, and I heard you didn't do this, and I heard you kowtowed or you bowed to this, right? And so, you know, um, on a, on an emotional level, it's like, well you know, you weren't part of this process. You don't actually know what we've been doing, but that's, there's no truth to that whatsoever. Right. And you can only so that say that so much. So, right. so I would say that it, it affected me at that level. 
And I think that's a really great point. And like you mentioned, David, that unless you're part of the process or you're in close proximity, it's really difficult to understand, right, how that works. And and Lisa, I want to pose the same question to you too. But also, you know, with what David just said, you know, is are you in agreement? Is that something that you've gone through as well? You know, what are your thoughts there? Well, I, I do agree with David, and I'm just going to reiterate that, no, there was um, nothing in, internally about the political and public, quote-unquote, pressure. A lot of us um, were asked to be, you know, in different forms of media the minute the um, the Florida piece comes out. But that was um, really to talk about the course itself. I think I was disappointed um, with some of the national news organizations who really did not do their homework and and ran with what seemed to be, you know, a popular narrative. Um, so I, I was a little, I guess, um, disappointed with some people I used to hold in high regard. So in that regard, it is personal in, in some ways, but in terms of the course, that's a standalone. That, again, that had nothing to do with whatever um, outside forces or influences seem to, you know, be taking root. Uh, so I, I would have to just say I, I definitely agree with everything that David said because I think I'm feeling, you know, very similarly um, as, as he. And I think broadly speaking, too, there's so much pressure that educators are facing big picture curriculum or otherwise. How would you say this conversation reflects that pressure? That educators are facing, Lisa, because you teach uh, K through 12 students as well. So you're seeing this firsthand in a different way. Oh, I am. And having, as I said, been part of both pilots, um, it's it's a conversation that I think is going to eventually just sort of extend to almost every class that, that you teach because there are so many um, extreme versions of any discipline, but seemingly history is, you know, hardest hit lately. And I would have to say that um, it really makes teachers have to uh, sort of gird their loins, <laughs> really stay focused, because there there's a lot out there that can be distracting. And there's sort of a double, um, sort of double-edged sword, I guess you could say, when it comes to teaching, because you know what you're tasked to do, but you also have to make sure that your students understand what you're teaching, because... So much of the popular narratives that are on social media and all seem to be driving what people think is true or right and wrong, and you know, and that's something that we hadn't come hadn't had to combat before. <laughs> so I, I think that that's that's part of of why um, I guess I'm even more dedicated to this vocation because I do understand that just a kernel of misinformation is what people will run with. And, and as we're doing even today, having this discussion, we're still talking about the fact that we've been doing our work and it hasn't been because of. Right. Right. And, and David, this is all so interconnected. And we know you at the college level, you're teaching some future educators. You know, what are you what are you seeing or hearing at that level? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I th- so. So I have to um, premise this a bit by saying that I, I, I do feel fortunate. Um, because I have, um, I've been around the nation, um, and I have colleagues, uh, across the nation who are in very, um, uh, you know, vulnerable positions, um, giving, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the new state laws or regulations or policies that are sort of directing them to 
say or not say certain things, right? And um, so being at UConn, um, I think, um, uh, has helped shield me uh, from some of that um, because we've been very good. I've, I, I've been very fortunate to have colleagues and, and, and administrators um, who are very much protective of academic freedom um, and of, of uh, you know, um, speaking uh, truth to power. And so, you know, I haven't, all that is to say, like, I haven't felt uh, on a personal level, the type of pressures that say my colleagues who teach in universities and colleges in Florida or Texas are feeling, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, there's enough that's out there in terms of, uh, you know, when we listen daily to the news of what's going on, um, that we can kind of see the, the, the type of, um, you know, rhetoric uh you know uh, being spread throughout the united states right and so um so there is some sort of you know fear or apprehension about uh you know what happens when that comes up here um you know to us now right what what is that sort of what is that sort of backlash or or is it going to mean for for those of us that are teaching up here so so it's it's a, it's a bit complicated but uh, you know i feel i feel safer but I'm, I'm very acutely aware um, of, of, of the national rhetoric around this. Right. And as both of you are working on this, Lisa, uh, can you tell us about how the pilot rollouts have been at Hamden Hall? What's your experience been like? Uh, it's been very positive. And I, I'm sort of like David. I am at a private institution and I tend to have a lot more latitude than, you know, my colleagues in public schools and particularly those in other states who um who are much more, um, you know, guarded or con- or maybe even, you know, have more oversight um, on them. But I have had a very positive experience. My first class went extremely well. I'm now teaching the second one. And for the most part, if there was a question, it was really about, you know, what are you teaching? Not so much, is there a political agenda? You know, is there something that's, you know, like an indoctrinating kind of an experience that those have not been the questions at least from the parents you know with with the students that I have Uh, but they've been more interested actually you know to see what it is and as things were unfolding last year and I had somewhat of a media presence as as did David you know it was sort of like wow this is my students were excited they're like wow look at all this you know and I said yeah but you're you're a part of history which is you know, very important. And and so I must say, I have, I guess I'm in a very good position in regards to that. You've been listening to UConn's Dr. David Embrick and Dr. Lisa Beth Hill at Hamden Hall Country Day School. They'll both be staying with us. And coming up next, we will hear from the Connecticut Department of Education and preview a new set of social study standards that was just approved. You can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we've been digging into a new AP African American Studies course with two of its local authors. And join the conversation and to preview a new set of social studies standards recently approved by the state is Steve Armstrong, who's a social studies advisor for the Connecticut State Department of Education. Welcome back to where we live, Steve. 
Thank you. Thank you very much and good morning. And still with us on the line is Dr. Embrick at UConn and Dr. Lisa Beth Hill, who is with the Hamden Hall Country Day School. And for our listeners, you can also join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Steve, we're going to jump straight to you. You've been listening along this conversation. You know, what are your thoughts about the rollout of this AP course and some of the challenges that it's faced? Well, and and, and I can sympathize with the um, the questions and the responses about the political side of this. Um, I think, luckily, in Connecticut, we've escaped at least some of that political turmoil, not all of it, but some of it. Sure. I can tell you that the just very briefly, the new course, the African-American Latino course that all high schools are offering is going remarkably well, that the large number of teachers that teach the course love teaching it. And the students are a comment I've heard from from many people, Catherine, is from many students is I'm stunned what I'm learning here. I never knew that this existed. Why didn't anyone teach me this before? So this new course, uh, this course that, that's being mandated is a great thing, I think, for students of, of all types in Connecticut. And I'm hopeful that the AP course, um, that students that took this, the, you know, that have taken or have not taken the African-American Latino course, they'll want to see, okay, we learned this. What more can we learn? So I, I'm I'm confident that you're going to get a, a large number of students who took that first course and want to take the next step with the with the AP course. Right, and we're we're seeing a lot of excitement. We're obviously seeing a lot of movement in the education uh, front. Can you give us a quick glimpse of these new social studies standards? You know, first of all, what's the scope of this? Because this is K through 12, right? That's correct. It's going to provide an outline for K 12 administrators, teachers, parents, here's what our best thinkers, and we got together our best thinkers in Connecticut, here's what we think social studies in Connecticut should be. And it's develop, It's not just developing content knowledge, it's developing inquiry skills. So it's a skills-based document, but it's also a con- content-based document. And I think we've made a real conscious effort to include more voices and more perspectives that are in the than have been in the previous documents we've created. And can you tell? Um, oh, I was going to say, can you tell us who some of those voices are? You know, who are some of the stakeholders? Yeah, I mean, we have we have in 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 some of our content examples, um, we're including um, uh, we're including LGBTQ individuals, um, African American individuals, Pacific Americans. Um, uh, you know, um, native, you know, islanders, but also uh, we have a large segment on veterans that we thought veterans was a group that that had not their story had not been told. But what we've really tried to do in all the courses is to give Connecticut kids and teachers who teach these kids a broader view of, hey, let's talk about all the people that live in our state and 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 and, and let's see what their contributions are too. That's that's really been a point of it. And we really also, uh, Catherine, really want to emphasize that we want social studies, that social studies has to be taught in the elementary school. That because of various reasons, social studies has been cut back in many elementary schools nationwide, by the way. 
and and that we're trying to find we're trying to point to some ways that where you can do it in elementary school as well. So, with what you just mentioned with elementary school, is that a major change? You know, can you elaborate on that, Quebec? Yeah, well, you know what? It's it's. I think it started. You know, there's there was some testing requirements. Um, you know, back to the Common Core era, where where um, the, the state testing was taking place in language arts slash English courses. State testing was taking places in math courses. There is no state testing in social studies. So as a result, because of that, social studies got, I, I think, a bit shortchanged. And I think very, very well-meaning efforts. You know, there's the talk about learning loss, you know, out of COVID, that we have learning loss. And, and there's incredibly positive and, and, and great efforts to, to you know, let's, ha- let's get us back to where we were in math. Let's get us back to where we were in language arts. And and I think social studies sometimes take a sec, takes a step and a second step there too as well. So you know um, w- we want to show people. You know I think if we're going to start talking about civics and we want people to become civic citizens, seventh grade or something like that is is way too late for that. In my opinion, we got to start that process as early as kindergarten and first grade. And so you talking about civics and, and seventh grade being too late. So can you give us an idea of, you know, how how will these new social studies standards show up in grade school? You know, what does that look like for seventh right. grade and under? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? It it, it may it may look like in, in let's say, a, a grade like third. We want and, you know, not in an exhaustive way, but we want kids to know about more than they know. And honestly, more than many adults know about where the very state is they live in. We want people, we want our third grade students, for example, to know about their community, where they live, not just to find it on a map, but you know what? Who lives in your community? You know, where do people that live in your community, where did they come from? What jobs do people in your community have? Where do they travel? So we really think a, a big part of this is Making kids familiar with the local makes telling the national story and the national trends more more comprehensible to kids. So there's a conscious effort to start at the local in all kinds of history, by the way. in Nash, There's all kinds of national trends and national stories to tell about history, about U.S. history. Start with the local, because in a lot of cases, that makes it more understandable. Well, you just took the next question out of my mouth. I was going to ask you if it was more relatable if you have a more local sort of angle and and sort of going out big picture to the national for kids, especially. Yeah, and you got to do. I think the the local makes it understandable. And you know, a lot of people. Another thing that our standards try to do is uh, anybody can remember back or people that took U.S. history in the United States. I often ask, when did your when did your class when did the teacher end their class in June? And a lot of people say, oh, we got to the Vietnam War or we got to, you know, something like that. I asked teachers today just this morning and it was in a meeting. Where do your teachers get to? They get to the Vietnam War. You know, we have to get as a as a as a discipline of history. We want kids to be able to relate to history and to relate to history. We have to get past the Vietnam War, because kids can relate to events after 9-11. Kids can relate to events surrounding the pandemic. 
et cetera, et cetera. We've got to get to that point to make history. Because if history is not meaningful to kids, that feeds into the motif of history is boring. Why do we have to learn history, et cetera, et cetera? We have to make history relatable to kids. And as you are, or as you know, this this standard is being worked on, as it's being you know processed, if you will, can you touch on the need for teachers to have these standards as well as the professional development involved with with the this process? Yeah, the process will be. I mean, now that the standards have been approved, now actually comes the hard part: is that we have to get the standards out to districts. And we'll be doing, uh, you know, professional development on that. And, you know, a thing to remember in, in, you know, so I don't sound too critical on the elementary side, that many the elementary teachers, don't don't forget, have to teach everything. Right. So that's a thing. And another thing, and this is no fault to theirs, many of them are not social studies people by background. They didn't, weren't required to take much. So, but so social studies, uh, professional development, the elementary school will be crucial. But it's not just the content. It's we want kids to be engaged in teaching in learning social studies. We don't want the teacher to be up at the front of the room. We want kids to be engaged in groups, looking at primary source documents, coming up with the answers. That's the skill part of it that we're going to have to work on with teachers as well. And Steve, you know, what are what are your thoughts about these topics, too, that are being addressed in elective classes versus in a basic history class? Yeah, you know, I think the elective classes are really the classes that that if if you know what this this African-American Latino course is, it was originally I mean, and I know some districts make it mandatory. The, the, this course is a, is was designed initially as an elective course. I can't tell you the number of kids. I'm not making this up. I can't tell you the number of kids who got turned on for the first time to history by taking this course. Because they learn by taking a course like this that history can help them understand their own identity. And I think courses like this um, are, 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 are critical. If we want... We want kids to understand society, but also to understand themselves. And it's oftentimes the elective courses, this course, history courses, but also a lot of other other electives like psychology, sociology. It isn't all just, to use a kid term, boring history. The electives can get you into many other fascinating topics as well. I want to bring Lisa back real quick, uh, Dr. Lisa Beth Hill, who's with the Hamden Hall Country Day School. You know, you've been listening to what Steve has to say. We we'll love your thoughts on the importance of these new standards. I think everything he said is, is absolutely important because as we continue to diversify or as the student body continues to diversify, I think it's also very important that the teaching body, you know, diversifies with it. And to actually have the courses is probably a good first step. I'm also pushing for, you know, having students be able to see people who look like me, you know, more and more often. And so I think that that's like the second phase of this. So I totally agree with having more inclusive courses, definitely. Um, I'm also saying that there should be a teaching component to that as well. 
And I also want to get some final thoughts from David as well. Uh, David, with UConn, you know, you've been listening to what Steve and Lisa, uh, what they have to say. You know, what are what are some final thoughts that you would like to leave with our listeners today? No, I um, this resonates. Uh, what Steve said resonates with me greatly. I um, one of the reasons why I took on the 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 the, the challenge um, and 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 the time to um, be on the AP Development uh, Committee. Um, was to sort of bring a larger awareness nationally to, um, you know, uh, Black history, right? Sort of Africana history. Um, I've taught across the nation uh, in a in a in a number of different universities and colleges, and um, and for me, um, as someone who teaches sort of sociology courses as well as um, racism courses, um, it always struck me as. Um, you know, uh, sort of sad that, um, you know, students who are coming to college for the first time often don't have uh, either uh, accurate or even much of a of, of a history of, of of groups of people that sort of formed the United States of America. Right. And so so, you know, I think I think, um, you know, to know that, um, you know, African-American history is U.S. history. Right. Uh, you know, Mexican-American history is U.S. history. Asian and Asian-American studies, uh, you know, history is sort of uh, fundamentally uh, U.S. history. Or, right. And, and, and so to to have students come in and say, well, you know, I, I didn't really know that about uh, slavery, which is a fundamental part of the building. Uh, it is like the, the, the backbone of the building of, of, of the U.S. I think, um, you know, uh, it's it's it's. it's egregious in a number of ways. And, and, and it also has um, a lot of us uh, having to start at the very beginning to say, well, you know, you're, you're missing out a huge chunk of 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 uh, of, of important history here uh, of, of important sort of a social understanding or awareness of 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 uh, the formation and the experiences of people, um, a lot of which the legacies are still with us today. Right. And so you have to sort of we have to start at the very beginning. Right. As opposed to and I'm not saying all students do this. They come in the 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 the, the, the idea that they come in with all these variations, I think, is also concerning because you have some students that sort of have a uh, a lot of understanding um, and some students that have none at all. Right. And so to have um, the ability uh, in a particular state, for example, in which, you know, you have access, students will have access to courses such as the such as these or, the, you know, which will capture a lot of this. I think it's really important, um, uh, you know, for for getting to sort of a, a a deeper understanding of 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 life, right, um, of, of social, economic, political life uh, in the United States. So I, you know, this is extremely important to me, um, which is why I do it, and and um, I'm super happy to hear this. Uh, you know, uh, everything that's come out from Steve, for sure. Right, and we've got about thirty seconds left for Steve. But any final thoughts as the new social uh, studies curriculum starts to get rolled out? I know that um, in some places or some people think that we should shy away from the difficult history, you know, that we should. But you know what I think? And, and I think many in this history community say, if you never tackle those difficult problems in the past, you'll never be able to tackle as difficult issues come up in the present and future. So I say, you know, in a, in a thoughtful way, tackle those issues because they'll help you down the road. Steve Armstrong is with the Connecticut State Department of Education. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, Steve. Thank you. And Dr. David Embrick, who's with UConn, we appreciate your time very much. Thank you so much for being on Where We Love today. Thank you. 
Dr. Lisa Beth Hill with Hamden Hall Country Day School. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much and have a good day. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download where we live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>